Welcome. This is Conversations from the Front Porch. And this morning we have with us Dr. Sarah Bond from Southern Illinois University. We're lucky to have her with us. She has a background in agriculture. She's been born and raised in Illinois and she's been active with FFA, which is the Future Farmers of America and 4-H for over 12 years. She has a bachelor's degree in agribusiness economics, a master's in science and agriculture education, and wow, a PhD in workforce education and development. Welcome, Sarah. Well, good morning. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. <laughs> we are very lucky to have you with us on the, on the front porch this morning. It's a beautiful day. I hope it's a beautiful day at your, your front porch. Tell us a little bit more about your background, please, and, and uh, share with us, uh, our viewers, about what, uh, what you're about. Well, thank you, Leslie. It is an absolutely beautiful day here in Southern Illinois, and it's a pleasure to join you on our front porches and just be able to chat just a bit. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, predominantly my background is agriculture and agriculture education, agriculture business. A big part of that is I'm a farm girl, and I grew up learning how to adapt and adjust and deal with a variety of different situations that may be happening, but learning along the way. And I had some prominent people along my path to help me with that journey, my agriculture education instructor from high school, of course, my father and my mother, and then along the way as I went towards college and, and my advanced degrees. And they always kept telling me that, Sarah, take it back to the basics of what you know, and you can learn just about anything. Over the course of my professional career, I've had many different opportunities and blessings along the way. I've been a college administrator many, many years um, from the instructional side as a department chair for CTE in a community, local community college. And then also at a local community college, I was a, a dean of student um, activities and student services, and so that side of the house as well. While I love those experiences, what I missed was being in the classroom and being able to teach students. So, yeah, I can see that I've worked with you in another venue and you are an, an awesome, engaging uh, faculty member and instructor. Well, thank you. And I feed off of the students and I, I made it a commitment to myself several years ago that because of those individuals that I spoke of earlier, the, the high school education instructor and some of those precious faculty members and how they poured into me, I wanted to be that same instructor as well, wherever I could, however I could. So with the blessing of my husband and many prayers, we decided to make a major professional change. And so I became an online instructor. Yeah. Now, that's much different than in-classroom instructor, and so maybe we could talk a little bit about that along the way. I'd really like to do that, and, and, and as you say, you've been, you've moved to a new career, and you've been primarily teaching from home and running a home business, so tell us how that's worked for you. Well, I'd like to start by saying what I'm going to share and some of the best practices maybe down the road is from a lot of failures. So I made a lot of mistakes when I first started out and I'm not afraid to say that, that, that That's sometimes good. I am a hot mess, but nonetheless, I, I did learn along the way. I was able to pivot and learn it and hopefully share those as well. So over the course of the last five to eight years, I've 
transitioned to online instruction to the point that I teach at three different universities currently with the, which are located in three different states and two different time zones. They're all on different learning management system platforms and, and even though some of them are similar, there's some differences along the way as well. At the same time I teach at those universities, I also run our own personal business, which is a, a consulting business where business and industry will call and say, we have this particular training need or desire, uh -huh. or could you help us with this particular problem? And so I'll consult with them and then come in with a training package with them and then possibly do workshops or keynote addresses, whatever they may need as well. The bottom line is it is a balancing act all That's day, true. every day. Wow. I mean, three universities, three different states, different time zones, different learning management platform, plus your own business. So tell us what you've learned over the past few years. Well, at first, I tried to please everyone and tried to do it all 24-7, 365. Best advice, don't do that. That's not possible. Right. What I had to do was to establish structure. Now, my my background and my my passions and my nature is to be very structured, very spreadsheet, if you will, focused so that there's tasks that I need to do. I need to get them accomplished. If I don't finish my to-do list, you know, I'm a complete failure. I had to put that all aside and say, okay, let's start scheduling and balancing. And so the basic thing that I began with and the best practice that I can offer with trying to balance all that with life and um, just trying to have some peace at the same time is set up structured times. So while I'm not physically going into an office somewhere or have specific office hours at a remote location, I set office hours at my own home. Okay, and during so that time, I will structure yeah. This particular university gets this time to grade or to create or do the instructional design or to have office hours. This university gets this day or this time. And that has made a significant difference in having very structured office time in my own home. Okay, so specific office times for specific tasks too. Yes, and at the same time, while I try to do that and schedule my weeks out and, and the semesters out as much as possible, as we all know, life happens. And so I have to be able to be okay with pivoting with that too. There may be times when I may have to adjust that just right. like if I was going to a, 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 remote, a remote location. Right, you're going on reschedule. campus. Yeah. Right. At first, that was very difficult for me to pivot. Now I'm more flexible with pivoting and being able to, okay, I'm just going to move that appointment or move that time frame to, to another time in the week. But I designate that time. Okay, cool. So that's, that's Im important. I think that the fact that you learn how to um, sort of chunk out your time mm -hmm. and then realizing that you probably needed to have some flexibility with that time. What are some other things that you've learned about uh, working for multiple institutions and from home? Another thing that worked for me, I had to establish when is my most creative time. We all know that there are different times in the day when your brain is just clicking and if you have a task before you, whether it, for me, if it's instructional design or creating a keynote or whatever it may be, right. I have specific times of the day or days of the week that I'm much more creative or there's less 
interferences. So I will specifically structure time and set aside time calendar, if you will, times for that. Early mornings, I'm the most creative. Mid-afternoon, two, three o'clock, I have kind of a brain fog or slump. So I don't want to designate that time when I have to be the most creative or on point. Um, so knowing when my most creative time or focus time is and specifically assigning those tasks during that time of the day. Oh, wow, Sarah. I think that that's something that I just learned. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, that's a great idea, right? So if I'm not a morning person and it takes me a while, like you said, to get out of the fog, perhaps it might be better to schedule some of those things that need more critical thinking or problem solving at a different time. Absolutely. And again, cut yourself some slack. There are times when you may have to write or create and that's the time you have on the calendar and it's just not happening. Right. So give yourself a little bit of break, uh, regroup, refocus, take a walk. Um, sometimes for me, just doing a load of laundry just to regroup and right. then come back to it. But don't force it just because it's on the calendar at that time that it just may not happen at that time. Okay, cool. All right, so well, I've learned a few things. What about that office? Tell us a little bit about your office. What should we know about setting up an office at home? So for me, an office had to be a separate room. I had to separate it from the rest of my living space. I didn't want it during our family living time or in our bedroom or somewhere else that I could be distracted. So for me, um, we have a basement and I sequestered a small corner of the basement and set it up just like I would if it would be at a remote site. And so that is my office and I can walk away from it. I can shut the door. And when I have family time or downtime, I'm not looking at it. When I go to the office, I have the office mindset. When I walk away from the office, I can let go. And I think that's important to have your space, but also that it's not in your lifestyle space. Right. I think, whew. Yeah, we've tried to we've tried to do that here for our home offices, but it didn't always work when we had some other folks here. But I can see how, you know, that that's your space, right? Your per, your area that you can find things that you need, and it's set up the way you can function, right? Absolutely, and. During COVID, of course, my husband, who is also a professor at SIU, at Southern Illinois University, he has a, a role of both teaching, research, and outreach. So he has been at home, working at home as well. And so you may ask, well, how does that work? How do you balance both of those? And so he has his own office space as well. Now, neither one of them are fancy. Neither one of them have all kinds of, you know, it's not yeah. like it's right out of a, a magazine, but there are own distinct office spaces. And so we know that this is my computer setup with my file structure, um, right. how I like to, to nest, if you will, and this is his. And we respect each other's spaces as well as during that working time, having that conversation of, what is on your agenda today? What kind of conference calls or Zoom meetings or recordings may you have might you have on your schedule that I don't want to interrupt because I'm walking through the house or I'm taking care of we don't have children but we have a dog so I'm taking care of her so it doesn't interrupt it and likewise he's doing the same I can't yeah. run the vacuum when he's in the middle of recording a lecture I mean it just wouldn't be cool <laughs> I think Even that's though, really important I, I think that having um you know now that both of you are home it sounds like you might be doing a few things a little bit differently 
Absolutely. And it's just having that conversation to know what is you, what does your day look like? And even though on my calendar, I may have said that this is the time that I've designated to clean the house. I may have to adjust that a little bit just to make sure that he can get his work taken care of appropriately. That's right. That's right. I, I did, I, before I scheduled this or we uh, opened up the Zoom meeting to, to talk with one another, I told my husband again that it wasn't just a conversation with another colleague that we were going to be recording. <laughs> right. And, and they just need to know it. It's just a common courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, besides the the sort of balancing your your work and your life and, and being uh, cognizant of the space, your office space, and, and things like that. Are there other things in terms of online teaching that you'd like to share with us? So when I first started online teaching, I was, I'll admit, I was a little overwhelmed. I was familiar with face-to-face -face teaching. I was familiar with my structure and how I would engage with the students and, and test. And, and so when I transitioned to online, it was a whole new world. And at first, I was resistant because I was in the camp that there is no way I can have the same type of contact, the same type of feedback, the same type of uh, relationship that I currently do with students in an online format. I was one of those people. Several years later, I can say, I really enjoy online. In fact, I believe I get more feedback and more dialogue from an online format because of the setup. Now, right. now let me also say that along the way, as we all know, especially during this time, we are inundated with features and functions and try this app and try this type of um, resource to go along on top of our, our teaching. And it can be very overwhelming. Or we can talk to colleagues and are you using this? Are you using that? Have you tried this? Are you trying that? That can be very, very overwhelming. Right. My best piece of advice is as we are all educators, we know our subject matter, take it back to the basics. Take it back to those basic course objectives, program objectives, wh whatever, you're, whatever you're following, take it back to that and focus on those objectives. You know your students, you know how they learn, and less is more. Focus on your content. You can always add in what I call the bells and the whistles down the road, little by little. But most importantly are those course objectives and making sure, did I cover them? How can I assess that they were covered? I think that is key advice, whether you're teaching online or face-to-face, -face, uh, Sarah, yeah. the basics. Yes. So what do you think in terms of online learning though, what are some um, things that you need to build in that might be the basics or even a bell, a, a one or two bells and whistles in terms of a course structure? So what I found that has been most effective, and I implement this in all three universities, there's similar content, but s somewhat similar. Different audiences in all three of them. I find that if I create, however that course is set up, if it's an eight-week course, a 16-week course, a five-week course, whatever the university has told me to do, during each of those weeks, it's a very consistent structure. That student knows what the structure is going to be from the onset. They know that I'm going to be expected to read this, 
research this, do this. They know ahead of time. So they don't have to worry about, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. They focus on the content. If I keep it very consistent each and every week, the success rate is a lot higher than if I switch up what they're supposed to do. Okay. The other thing that I have found is if I can create an orientation video or quiz, something right from the beginning to get them familiar with the course architecture, the course structure, where do I point and click? What do, where do I find the things that you're referring to? Every learning management system is similar, but different. They may have the same features, but they may call them something different. Right. For instance, assessment tools may be called quizzes, they may be called tests, they may be called a variety of things, and just helping them on the onset with that video or quiz to help guide them is, when I want you to go take that assessment, here's where it's located. Here's okay. how you're going to function with it before they have to actually go live with it. Those types of things. I think that's, those are two tactics, I think, or best practices that, that would be very helpful in terms of uh, the online orientation or the quiz, right? The online quiz to yes. make sure, and then keeping a consistent structure as much as possible from semester to semester or course to course, especially, I guess, if the university or the college has a format, right, for some of those things. Well, and in, in not all of my universities that I work with have a specific format. That's one of them does. The other two allow me to be um, as creative as I want to be. Yeah which is wonderful, but I find that I don't, I want the students to focus on the content, right. not how do I function and where do I go and what is she, I don't know what she expects of me next. Right. I, I don't know what this thing is that she's asking me to do. Well, if it's a consistent structure, they don't have to worry about that. They know what I'm expecting and they just focus on the content. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so Obviously, I can hear your instructional designer background in there too, right? You know, yes. it's not just throwing a bunch of materials and content up in an online format. And you're thinking about it from the learner perspective, which I think is is really important, right? So how would they be able to, how do they manage sort of this information and get from point A to point Z, right? And be successful. Absolutely. And each of us know our students and their backgrounds and their abilities and they're all different types of learners so some of them are more adept and can just function easier some of them are just scared of the online format and so that's a hurdle that they are even trying to get over before we can even get to the content so it's knowing your learner before the class even begins or at least having a, a base idea of who your learners are I think that's important, Sarah. That builds on one of the uh, previous conversations I had with uh, on the front porch was the idea that some students have had bad experiences, right? And so getting to know your learner and unpacking, you know, sort of what their expectations are and helping them move forward is, is what you're saying, too. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, um, We've covered a lot of ground uh, this morning about uh, many different things. Obviously, you're a rock star when it comes to <laughs> um, understanding the adult learner and, and how to work for different institutions and obviously a, a very good professional speaker. Um, what, what would you want to leave us with in terms of uh, what we should think about either in terms of moving forward as a faculty member or a learner or just 
even how we take care of ourselves in terms of managing work and life? I guess my best advice in the whole work-life balance is, is that we need balance. We need to do work at 110%, but we need to do life at 110%. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of our loved ones around us. That's tough to balance all of, all of it, but we need to try to, to balance, to be the best instructor, to be the best spouse, to be the best son, daughter, whatever it may be. Um, balance is important. So making sure that we're giving the best in each and every part that we're doing, but take care of you. It's okay to take a break. You don't have to be on 24-7. Take a break. And whatever that looks like for you, if it's taking a walk, if it's doing a load of laundry, if it's reading a book, if it's whatever it may be, take a break. It's okay. It's Please take a break. Yes. I think... Thank you, Sarah. I think that um, you've given us a lot of ideas this morning um, that make sense, um, that we can probably implement whether we're face-to-face, -face. but I do think that, especially in this time, that we need to take a step back and think about taking care of ourselves, because I think we'll be able to take care of others and do better at both work and, and life in general. I absolutely. really do. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. You have a wonderful rest of the week. Uh, we've appreciated spending time with us. And um, uh, I'm going to say, be well. Awesome. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate you having me on. And good luck to everyone. Stay safe. And remember, students are super important. Yeah. All right. Thank you.